Oh my God, you will not guess who is here with me today. I have a new segment ready for you guys that I have put a lot of time into thinking about and it is called Off the Books with Book Club for Baddies and this is the very first episode ever done and I have the best guest as our first co-host on Off the Books. And I got my girl, Cardiela. Hello, how are you? I love that intro, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm great, great, how are you? I'm good, I'm so excited to have you on here, seriously. Baddies, I have known Cardiela for how many years now? Probably about five years yeah, now. Yeah, like five years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I've known Cardiela for five years. We both were working in retail together and that's how we met. And then ever since then, we just stayed in touch and stayed friends and our friendship has gotten better and better every year. And it's just been an incredible time seeing Cardiela grow into the person that she is now. She's always been amazing, but now she's just at this point in her life where she's so sure of herself. She's such a light and she knows exactly what she wants and she's going and getting it and she's just so powerful, such an incredible woman and I'm just so excited to have her here today. So I'm gonna let Cardi kind of introduce herself a little bit before we kind of dive into Cartiela's world. Hi guys, my name is Cartiela. I also go by Cardi. I am a model, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm the owner of a women's urban luxury brand called Unruly Atelier. Awesome. I'm so excited, you guys. This She's probably one of the coolest people I've ever <laughs> met. She has lived in New York. She's been pursuing her modeling for how long? Probably since I was around 15 or 16, on and off, but yeah pretty long time. That's awesome. And yeah. she started off in Atlanta, right? Modeling yeah. first and then she moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And she's like the most incredible model ever. You would <laughs> definitely have to check out her Instagram. Her Instagram is what? Cartiela at Cartiela. At Cartiela. So, we're going to start from the beginning. Cardi There's so many different parts of you that we really want to touch on. So, I'm going to try and do my best. But we kind of want to start off where you kind of started and where you are now because the person I know that's sitting in front of me, she's, you know, a very spiritual person. She's very open-minded, well-rounded, so strong, so independent. And I just want to know, like, were you always that person? In all honesty, no. (laughs) It's taken me quite some time to get back to a point in my life where I am that again. I think that when I think of my young years, like, you know, five, six, they say when you're a kid that that's when you know yourself the best. And I do remember being that young and feeling like I had a really strong grasp on who I was. I was always very in tune with myself and in tune with what I wanted to do. I always wanted to work in fashion, something in fashion. And as I got older, um, through my teens, preteens, all of that, All of it kind of got lost, you know, just going through life, things start to seem so much more confusing. You you know, you get into high school, you get into college, and it's kind of the same thing. You're trying to figure yourself out 
um, while also figuring out your life. Yeah. So I would say that in the last recent years, I have realigned myself with the old me, with the with the real me. So are you more of like a spiritual person or a religious? Was your family, were you raised religious? Like for me, my parents, my dad was not religious at all. My mom was raised Catholic because she's French Canadian. So in the house, it was kind of really random. Like growing up, we would celebrate all the holidays and we would go to church on Sunday, but it wasn't a Catholic church. It was, you know, like a Southern Baptist church or some, some shit like that. (laughs) And we would just go because it was just traditional for my mom. Like, you know, she'd celebrate whatever. And as a kid growing up in the South, like or anywhere in the United States, everybody's always celebrating these holidays like Christmas, Easter, whatever. So you just kind of go along with it. But then, you know, we soon stopped doing any of those like church things and we were just celebrating as a family. Mm -hmm. So we were never really religious and that kind of gave me a lot of room to figure it out myself and what I gravitated towards, which obviously now is I'm more of a spiritual person, but I gravitate a lot to Buddhism, if I'm going to say, or like put myself, attach myself to like a a word or a meaning or like a philosophy or religion or whatever. That's what I would say. So for you, how was it growing up? Were you raised in like a religious household or no? I was raised in a very Christian household, so very religiously. And I think for me that really changed when I got in high school because I started to question all of it. The role, specifically the role of women in the Bible really was what got me curious about other things. And then I started to dig deeper into spirituality. Um, And from there, you know, I got into meditation. I got into breathing deeply. All of those kind of things that are more tied to being connected with your spiritual self Mm -hmm. than it is to being connected to a religious being. Right. Definitely. For me in high school, when I started to be like, what am I? Yeah. And I first went from like being agnostic, someone who believes that there could be like a higher power or whatever, higher being, but just not sure. And I think, you know, that's kind of like what a lot of people struggle with nowadays is they're, you know, straying away from religion because we've just seen how oppressive it can be. Yeah. We see that it, a lot of times people go crazy with it and take it too literal it's like that was never the way it was intended to be perceived right i can be a religious person still or i can be spiritual do you gravitate toward certain things in particular i would say that it's more of a personal journey for me it's more meditating um it's more i do pray i guess the way i go about prayer now is a lot different than when I was younger. When I was younger, I do feel that a lot of my commitment to Christian religion was very fear-based. It was very based on, okay, I have to pray like this because if I don't, I'm gonna get smited and I'm gonna be damned and all this kind of stuff. And now when I pray, it is from a knowing that regardless of what I'm saying, it is gonna be received with love and that I am love. You know, I'm not someone that owes someone anything. You know, I don't have to do anything. I just have to be and be the best version of myself. And that's more so something that is brought up in spirituality than in religion. Religion, there is a lot of falsehood. There is a lot of people really trying to um, place their own interpretation 
and their own judgments on others on what they think the Bible, for example, says and what it means. And they lose kind of the foundation of just walking in love, walking in your truth. And by being in your truth, you have no choice but to give out love and to give out inspiration and do the things that we're here to do. That to me is a spiritual act more than a religious act. Definitely. And it really spoke to me when you said that you kind of did those things like prayer and certain things that it's like we were talking about earlier, like getting stuck in routine. You just do it because you know you're supposed to do it and you forget why you're doing it. Yeah. Or it's root like based and rooted in like fear. Oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to go to hell. Or if I don't do this, it's something bad's going to happen. Like I have to do it. And that kind of takes away the whole purpose of what exactly, you know, being religious or spiritual is like you're supposed to be connecting to someone and when you're fearful of something it's a total disconnect exactly exactly and that gets into something else which is you know i suppose it would be spirituality but that gets into you know calibration if you are operating at a fear-based level you are only so you're very limited in the amount of good you can put out into the world so choosing to operate on that level And relating that to Christianity as for why you're that way and choosing to stay in that manner to me is doing yourself and doing the world a really big disservice. Right. So we got you in high school now and you're kind of realizing who you are. You're kind of getting back to like your essence of a person. And I think this is where kind of everyone starts to change their thoughts and like their thought process and they start to realize or think about like really who am I as a person like what do I really like because this is the age where you know you've either been following your friends around you kind of stick with the same people and now you're kind of having like your own mind so a lot of things are changing so once you left high school did you go to college or what were your next kind of steps after I left high school I did go to Georgia State and there I studied business But I was very unhappy. I really wanted to go to New York. I wanted to pursue my dreams as a model. And eventually I did. But yeah, after high school, I went to Georgia State. And that definitely furthered me, I think, in my interest in spirituality and furthered me in my interest in getting back to my true self because I was realizing that I was kind of losing myself Mm -hmm. and trying to be what I think society or you know, friends, family wanted me to be instead of what I actually did want to be. So that was really when things started to shift for me. Did your parents and like siblings have a lot of influence on like who you were as a person or like what they kind of wanted you to do and what routes? Were they supportive of your modeling and your aspirations or did they kind of put their views on you? I would say my family and friends were supportive to an extent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there is this belief, especially in the black community, where certain careers and certain professions are not as um, sustainable over time. So you need to go to school for business, for something in medicine, something that you can leave and you can get a job doing. And especially to like foreign families, the parents are really pressuring their kids. Like you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or something because these creative aspirations aren't attainable. Exactly. And, And it's very, it's just not true. 
it's just not true. But especially, you know, even though that was only a few years ago, more recently have more creative fields become more of a realistic thing that you can pursue and it's a respected field to be in. Just a few years ago, it wasn't. It wasn't like going to school for anything creative was looked at as anything but a dream. And you're living out these pipe dreams, but eventually you're gonna have to go back and get a a real degree. Mm -hmm. So for me, I would say a lot of the support was very limited and there was only so much I could get. So when it came to modeling, I would say my friends and family were very supportive. When it came to anything else, no. It had to be something that would sustain me longer. And I would say my friends and family didn't feel like anything in fashion as a career besides some modeling was really gonna sustain me. Why do you think that they supported you more with your modeling than other career aspirations? I think modeling is evident. You know, I'm tall. Right. (laughs) I'm tall, you know, conventionally attractive. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you can see that. You can see that I model. Yeah. When it comes to anything like fashion, you know, something that requires you to use your brain power, they don't know. They can't see that. They can't see the amount of creativity that you might have, which you might be able to offer the world, but they can see the model. So I think that is why there was a very limited perception on where I could be successful. And I think that kind of goes into a lot of people need to see things to believe things. Yes. And really goes into a lot of this spiritual Mm -hmm. journey type thing Mm -hmm. and why people find it so hard to work on themselves because you don't see your results. They're in your mind. They're in your soul, in your body. These are things that you can't, they're not tangible. You can't touch it. You can't see it. So people are like, oh, there's no point. Like, why am I going to put forth the effort in this? Because really there's no point until you do the work. If you do hard work, you will always get results. So then do you think that, you know, them kind of not really supporting your other aspirations as much, do you think did that in any way change how you wanted to go about it? Were you still just as persistent and strong and like hard-headed and you were like, I'm going to still do this fashion stuff? Or did you kind of put modeling in front? It took me a while to get the confidence to pursue fashion. For modeling, it wasn't as hard, partly because my friends and family supported that a lot more. So when I did make the choice to move to New York, because I I moved to New York very shortly after I left Georgia State. And when I moved to New York, it was to pursue modeling. I still had no aspiration to pursue anything in fashion, partly because I felt that I couldn't. There was no support really and because there was no support and because I had tried to fit the mold of what I thought people wanted me to be pursuing something in fashion just was not something that I thought much about but modeling was because modeling was if anything it's my way into the field of fashion in some kind of way for sure so it took me a while to get to gain the confidence to actually pursue fashion and that confidence came in New York while pursuing modeling. I realized a lot of things while I was pursuing modeling. Once you move to New York, this huge city on your own, that's when you were like, I can do this. Yes. When it came to modeling, when I moved to New York, I was very scared because the 
kind of model that you can get in Atlanta compared to the kind of model that you can get in New York is very different. There are a few girls here who really fit that editorial look. In New York, there's hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah. So the competition is a lot thicker in New York, which I do think was scary to me at first. It kind of did hurt my confidence a little bit, but I was still able to get really good jobs. However, I wasn't as fulfilled in modeling. I never was really fulfilled in modeling. Modeling was just my way to have something that was in fashion because I knew I wanted to be in the fashion world, preferably in a different way, but modeling was that way that I could be supported and still be in in it in some kind of way. Yeah, and it's kind of like a, you know, it's like a foot in the door and you can kind of see how everything works throughout your career of modeling. Have you experienced like any bad situations where you felt like you were being disrespected or... I've never had anyone blatantly say to my face anything negative like that. I have heard some girls say, you know, this designer said they didn't want me because I'm black or this designer said they didn't want me because my hair is too this or my eyes are too this. No one has ever said that to me, but I have been in situations where I was disrespected in a more passive aggressive way. So the designer may not look my direction, but he'll look at the other girls or she'll look at the other girls. She might pass on me, but she will make sure she's paying or he's paying specific attention to, you know, how this model looks in this type of look. So I would say for me, it wasn't so much blatant disrespect. It was more so how I was treated in the room. And you could feel that and you could sense that. And so did that affect your confidence or how did that make you feel yeah it did affect my confidence it really made me feel like more than anything it made me feel like I have so much to offer the world creatively and I'm reducing myself to just my outer appearance for someone to look at me and say I'm not good enough right and that was very hard for me to swallow I think that when I really stopped and took a break from modeling, I re-realized my worth and that helped me to heal from a little bit of that trauma because it can be very traumatic when so many people are saying to you or not saying to you, but passively aggressively saying to you, hey, I don't like this or "Uh, thanks, but we're good. That's going to take a toll on how you feel about yourself. It's rejection. So I would say that it affected my confidence, but I would say that getting back to myself as a creative individual and really honing in on that helped to rebuild my confidence. You know, when you're in any kind of industry like that, for me, acting, I think it's so hard because when you see all of these people getting booked for something and they look a certain way, kind of like, what the fuck like why am I here why am I doing this like what is the point and it doesn't even matter like how much you want it but then when you see someone's like you said just putting you down for what you look like and you're like I've got all of this creativity and intelligence inside of me and I'm putting I'm subjecting myself to this bullshit yeah (laughs) of me being here like I know I'm worth it it's hard like working in any kind of industry 
where what you look like is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do, you start to look at yourself and you're like, well, what do I need to do to change to get picked? Like, yeah. what what exactly are you looking for? You see in magazines and you see different people trying to be more inclusive of like certain mm-hmm. ethnicities or, you know, people that are doing now like the trans, they're being more inclusive of trans people and everything. And it's like, are you just doing that for fucking bandwagon? Right. Like, to make sure that you're not fucking canceled in this mm-hmm. culture now? Like, or do you really mean it? Because then when you're out there and you're doing it and you see that clearly not even like looking your way, you're like, is this just fake? Like, are you guys just yeah. doing this to look good in mm-hmm. front of everyone? And a lot of times I feel like it is. That's when it takes being a strong person who's really rooted in their spirituality and knowing their worth and who they are is what can make you strong enough to be like, I see the bullshit. I don't care. Keep moving on. Keep pushing forward. Because right. in the modeling industry, that's like no joke. Yeah. You know, in modeling, the interesting thing about what you said is brands do do that. And, and designers do do that where they will book someone specifically because they don't want to look like they don't support a certain type of person or a certain type of look or anything like that. So you will see, okay, let's make sure we have one trans person. Let's right. make sure we have one black girl. Let's And if, she's, if she has this look, let's make sure she doesn't look too you know trans she needs right. to look more feminine than than anything like the the like packaged cookie cutter yeah. version of that not like the raw real version yeah. of what that person would be like because they're still too afraid of it right right so you have a lot of that going on in the industry and the interesting thing about that is when you do confront designers about certain issues like that they'll say oh well this is what the agency sent us and then if you ask the agency, the agency, well, this is... It's this always is what, somebody else's fucking problem. Yeah, this is what the designer said they want. So no one takes responsibility. And you can't nitpick at one specific person and say, hey, you think about this wrong. Mm-hmm. Because all they have to do is say, that wasn't me. Exactly. I'm okay with these kinds of people. I'm okay with everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to place blame on anyone. All we can do is just keep talking about it, keep making it like an Until obvious... Until it's the norm. Yeah. Because, I mean, we see it's moving that way and obviously things, because the world is the way it is, it takes so fucking long yeah. to <laughs> make a difference. But, you know, like as long as we just don't shut the fuck up about it, they yeah. have no, no choice. Okay, so we go from modeling... And then you were in New York, and how was handling the stress of New York? I mean, that I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I've been to New York. I don't know if I, I could ever live there, though. Yeah. That seems like a lot. New York, honestly, I fit into it very easily, which was very shocking to the people who knew me. I but know. it wasn't surprising to me. Like, I caught the subway very easily. I never got lost. Nice. <laughs> Um, the only thing about New York is it ain't cheap. So if you're going to move there, Mm -hmm. make sure you got the coin for the rent because (laughs) otherwise you'll have tons of roommates. But New York in and of itself, as much as it's a very raw and dirty, (laughs) rigid kind of city, there's so much opportunity there that you're very willing to overlook that when you can get in front of certain people that you most certainly can't get in front of in your hometown. Even somewhere like Atlanta, it's hard to get in front of Pierre Moss. 
You know, it's hard to get in front of certain designers, especially designers that are really going to help you get your brand to the next level. If you're not there, if you're not in L.A., if you're not in certain areas, otherwise they won't see you. Do you think you'll move back? I'll move back when I'm making six figures. <laughs> I'll move back when I'm making six figures. You know, I can afford to live very, very, very comfortably. Comfortably. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So then we go into that and why I was kind of, I was kind of one of the people that was like shocked when you moved to New York. Yeah. Not that I didn't know that you can handle it, but because I know you as a very like more, not quiet. You always like go and you say exactly what you want to say and you are a very strong person, but you're also very like reserved. Yeah. You're very much like you sit and you observe. Yeah. <laughs> and then you like take it in and then you react. And then I decide if I want to <laughs> interact with you. Exactly. Which I guess is kind of a New York vibe too. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh shit, like Cardi's going to New York. Like this is going to be crazy. And then like you went and did it and you obviously loved it and like want to go back and everything. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Most of all, I will say, okay, so I, sh I shouldn't say that there wasn't any hardship. It was a huge transition for me living in New York compared to Atlanta, mostly because New York is a walking city. Atlanta isn't. So I had to get in shape real fast. <laughs> I had to get in shape real fast. I had to really get used to the grind the grind of every single day you have to get up and run to the subway to get where you need to be and you know if you can't move with the crowd they're gonna run over you mm -hmm. that's very real in new york so it was a transition but i think because i was so motivated by the opportunity that was there for me modeling wise if i wanted to go to school there there was so much chance that i hadn't taken before that was so ready for me to take I was willing to overlook all of the hardship and really willing to push through it. So now all of my memory of New York is very good because even in those times where it was difficult and the day was hard and it was a transition, I was more focused on what I was trying to get out of the whole experience. Did you ever find yourself getting really like tired just because of like putting all of that energy out to like hustle, hustle, hustle? Did you ever find yourself kind of wearing yourself thin and kind of coming to a point where you're mentally weren't as stable or strong as before? And if so, how did you handle and change that for yourself? Yeah, there was a point in New York where I was getting very worn down. And I would say I was probably halfway into my stay there. When I first got to New York, it was a transition. So I was very tired. Mm -hmm. There were days where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. But as I got into the flow of things, it got a lot easier. And I would say overall, it was a pleasant experience, even though it was a hard grind because I was on a mission. I had a purpose and I still have a purpose, but particularly in that time, everything was very purpose driven. And there was a point though, near the middle of my stay there where I just needed some further inspiration and that is when I was put on by my mom by Wayne Dyer to Wayne Dyer and Wayne Dyer is he passed away but he was a spiritual influence and one of the biggest things that he preaches about is how your thoughts create your reality and how by changing your energy you can change your life 
So for me, from then on, I was hooked. That's really when I saw the shift for me from being motivated by my own individual purpose to being driven by a higher calling. And that's bigger than motivation. That's calling. It's purpose. It's you just move in that way. Mm -hmm. So how I dealt with that, I listened to Wayne Dyer every single day. And after some time, you start listening to something, you start doing something, you integrate it into your everyday life. And it becomes who you are. Mm-hmm. And you begin to see, or at least I began to see that when I shifted my perspective, when I shifted my energy and how I was feeling, I was able to totally shift the way that my day went. And that allowed me to gain the confidence to go to school in New York and to try different things that I had initially moved to New York for, which was just modeling. I eventually got into school at FIT and pursued design. And that really is what opened the door for me to say, hey, you are a special person and you do have something to offer and hone in on that. What happens if you just decide to take the chance in yourself on anything you want to do instead of being afraid of it and just saying, oh, I'm just going to stick to this one little bubble. If you change the way you think about things, for me specifically, if I changed the way how I felt about my creative endeavors, then I could pursue those and achieve levels of greatness that before I didn't think I was capable of. And when I practiced that in New York is when I really saw the shift. And that's really when I started to become the person that I am now, someone that is very strong-willed in their belief in their belief systems and very driven by what they're here to do. It's just crazy the difference that your mindset has totally completely changed your life and everything that you do and you just walk with purpose every single day. Like when I see you, I don't know, I just like look at you and I'm like, she knows what the fuck she's doing. (laughs) That's so great to see because you can tell that you've taken the time to work on that and like make it a conscious effort to be like, this is so important because this is gonna, this is what's gonna change my life. Yeah. Like my mind state and where I'm at, this is actually what's gonna change my life. Not right. me making it big because I'm already gonna do that. I gotta start from the root of where this is all gonna come from. Your skills and tools and abilities to do all these amazing things, they're never gonna get to that point unless you change the way you think about yourself. At the end of the day, you look at anyone in the world. You are literally capable of doing anything you fucking want to do in this fucking world. And what pisses me off are these people that sit there and they waste their given talent that they're born with because they're like, oh, it's just a dream. There's a reason you there's a reason you have that dream though. Exactly. And there's a reason why we're all gifted with something. They don't happen for no reason. And I'm that's a huge point too. Nothing happens for no reason. Right. I believe there's two different things that go on in life. There's things that are inevitable, Mm -hmm. things that are gonna happen no matter what you do. And then there's things that are your fucking choice. Mm -hmm. You have to put in the effort to get them done. Nothing is gonna just fall into place unless you put action behind it. Right. And you know something that I learned when I was in New York that really stuck with me is that 
if you pursue something that is your calling, your purpose, right? You have no evidence. You as an individual have no evidence that that pursuit will be hard. All you have to do is start the journey and all those doors were open for you because that is your journey. It's when you start to skew off of that and you try to take someone else's journey and make that your truth that now the road is winding and now the road, oh, it's so hard to get here because that's not who you are. But when you put all of your energy and all of your power and all of your creativity into what you know is for you, you don't have evidence readily to you that it's going to be so strenuous and hard. In all actuality, even in those times where it's hard, you might not feel like it's that challenging for you because it's for you. Mm -hmm. And the thing that might be difficult to someone else might come to you naturally. You know, it might be something else that, you know, you might need a little bit more help with. But all in all, if you just pursue something, all you have to do is keep saying, okay, I'm going to get to this point. Okay, what happens if I keep going and I get to this point? And then you get to that point. Okay, well, let me try to get to this point now. And then you get to that point. And next thing you know, you're achieving milestones and you're achieving goals. Was that hard? And you know? that, that was a fucking gem right there. I'm not <laughs> even going to lie. That was a fucking gem because I was like, damn, that is so true. How the fuck do you know? If it's going to be hard or not for you, you if you haven't even tried. You don't. And the thing about it is a lot of what we say is so hard is in our mind. It is. It's in our mind. And it's, you conjugate this whole hardship yes. before it's even happened. Right. And then you manifest that hardship. Right. And then it's going to fucking happen to you. Right. If all these people out here are living the dream that you want to have, okay, yeah, some people might have had a heart like a, a more difficult, more bumpy journey. It might have taken a longer time. Some people not. Like everybody, those people all made it happen though. Why right. do you think you can't make it happen? Right. It's possible. If I was a child right now and I was looking at where I am now in my life, I'm not happy where I am because I want to do more, mm-hmm. you know? But if I was like a kid looking at like how much I've done as an actress, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, what? I did that? Right. No way. I did a TV show. I was on the TV. I've done all of these things, worked with all of these different people, like been in the same room as all of these crazy actors. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, what the hell? Right. Really? That was me? Like I did that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to sit there and be like, reflect and think, wow, you know, I have done great. Obviously keep going fucking harder now (laughs) but like it's really not that unattainable it's really not especially if you're persistent if you're persistent and you keep your energy right things have no choice but to happen that's the thing that people don't realize a lot of things in life if you're persistent with it and you keep your energy right about it that thing is going to happen because that is the law of the universe. That's how Mm -hmm. things work. That's how things become reality. So if you keep putting your energy into something, it has no choice but to manifest eventually. And that goes for things that are good and for things that are bad. Mm -hmm. So why not train yourself to make it a habit to think good and to say, okay, no, actually I'm going to choose to think like this instead and make that your norm, make that your habit. Why not? practice that so that you can raise your energy so that you can then attract the thing you want yeah for me it's always been these couple of things or three things 
Consistency meets preparation meets timing. So if you're consistent with it, you've prepared yourself enough for what your goal is as like an actress. I am always studying. I'm always reading. I'm always in class. I'm always performing or working on my skill or whatever. Preparation meets timing. You never know when you're going to get that opportunity to be face-to-face with somebody that you need to be able to network with or you're about to do this audition or whatever. Like your agent calls you tomorrow and they're like, you've got this audition. you got to be there ready tomorrow to do it. If you're not prepared, it's not going to work out. So you always have to make sure that you're working on your skill and your tools and your tool set is ready to fucking go. It's sharpened. It's good to go. It's ready. You're never, never stop sharpening your tools. Right. And then when that little piece of time is like, here you go, you're there, you're ready, you're on it. And at least even if you don't get it or it doesn't work out that time, you know, I gave it my best. Right. And then the next opportunity comes. And then the thing is like, when you keep your mind open and when the universe feels, wow, this person's serious, they're not going to give up you're going to get your opportunity. Right. There is no way. The only people in this world that do not make it in their field or career that they're pursuing are the ones that give up. Right. Those are the only people. Those that give up are those that don't believe. Mm -hmm. Because if you go after something without the belief that you can attain it, it's not going to happen. You have to have both. It is a belief. It's a knowing. And it's the action you put in behind that knowing that's going to get you what you want. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we've got all of our information from your trip to New York and you pursuing your modeling and everything. So now you're back in Atlanta and you're working on your clothing line. So tell us a little bit about this incredible clothing line. I am ready to buy everything (laughs) already. So thank you. Yes. So my line is a women's urban luxury brand. It is going to be wearable fashion that is comfortable, yet very high quality. This really became something that I became passionate about actually in New York. Um, In New York is where I came up with the name. The name is Unruly. I added on Atelier a little bit later, but that name came to me in New York. And my first sketches, actually, I began in New York. But when I began it, it started off as a a mock, a, a little side project, never something that I took very seriously. But since then, Unruly has blossomed into a real brand that is going to be available for people to buy very, very soon. And the main thing I want people to get out of it is to have something in your closet that is wearable, that is comfortable, that is feminine. And that's quality, something that you can have for years and years to come. So those are the main key points for me. And that's literally what I've been looking for because every single time I wake up in the morning and I'm ready to go run errands or go meet someone or something, I'm like, what the fuck do I wear? Because like, <laughs> I don't always want to put a whole outfit together. That's fun and fine. But sometimes I just want to put on this perfectly comfortable, sexy in the way that it fits my body makes me feel good and it's just easy and then you're ready to go and it can be for so many different things yeah and that's that's what i really always wanted to appeal to with unruly something that is functional meaning that you can wear it on different occasions for different reasons and 
the thing about unruly that I really want to emphasize is the pieces are obviously there will be some pieces that are simple and basic but many of the pieces for unruly are unique there's something that people haven't seen before and it's not because it's unable to be created but it's just because streetwear for women hasn't really been an industry that's really been honed a lot of streetwear for women is men's clothing made cut down for a woman's body so it's still very boxy it's still very big and women want to feel sexy women want women want to feel feminine they want to feel like they can throw something on without feeling so frumpy or having to style it up because at that point now you're making a whole new outfit so i really wanted to create a brand that whole the whole identity of unruly is to appeal to that being able to put something on without having to put too much thought into it while still appealing to that streetwear aesthetic Right. And I totally feel that because I love streetwear and I feel like, you know, it's so popular and everything, but the fits are just not, unless you go get it tailored or unless you've just got like this fucking insane body that's like huge boobs, huge ass, like that's (laughs) not me. You know, there's certain pieces that you find and you're like, wow, this just fits so nicely. The material's amazing. It just looks really good. And it's you find them far and few in between. Yeah, a lot of it is going to be, you know, a, a one-stop shop kind of feel. You know, Unruly is going to have basics, basic tops. It's going to have underwear. It's going to have socks. All of that. So aside from it being very unique women's streetwear, it is going to be very simple and very high quality everyday necessities that every woman can have in her closet. Yes, and these materials that you've been showing me are just <laughs> insane. I'm crazy about fabric. Yeah, I love heavy, thick, and not even just heavy and thick, but soft and quality. Things that you can wear, things you can put in your washing machine that aren't going to be ruined after the first wash. Right, which I think is really great too because, you know, we live in an era of like fast fashion. Yeah. And I think what's so important is finding the pieces that you can spend money on that fit you incredible that you can have for a long time yeah i mean the point is that everything especially the basic pieces the point is that they can replace several items in your closet that you might you might have five different basic black t-shirts but one of mine can replace all of those yes and in and of itself you are lowering and you are decreasing your footprint that you're leaving behind on the environmental waste that fashion can cause. Yeah. So I am a passionate person about the environment and making sure that I have a closet of things that it may not be a ton of items, but each piece will be something that I can have for years to come and by having that piece I'm saving eventually all of these other pieces being bought and being wasted absolutely if everyone has that same mentality about what they're buying we're gonna see a huge decrease in the amount of damage that the fashion industry is causing on the environment Exactly. I think it's just something to think about when you go purchasing, you know, your next clothing items. And the, the, 
really interesting thing about the boom of sustainability in fashion is that people have no real indication of what is sustainable and what isn't right how do you know for a fact that this brand is sustainable okay so where will they be able to buy your stuff so unruly will be available online um my website is unrulyatelier.com that is spelled u-n-r-u-l-e-a-t L-I-E-R.com and also via Instagram. You can access the website via Instagram. It's going to be unruly underscore atelier. Awesome. Cannot wait. <laughs> we'll definitely be posting when it drops oh, and yeah, everything so you guys sure. will all know. You are obviously very busy <laughs> with all of the things that you yeah. do. So does this make it kind of hard for you because you are so busy and you're so focused on like working and everything to like have a personal life with your friends or like anyone else? It does because kind of going back to what we were saying about the whole mindset thing, there's a lot of sacrifice you have to make, not so much in the physical, but mentally you have to be very aware of the people you're around. You have to be very aware of the amount of free time you spend on just entertainment how much of that time are you spending honing yourself and with yourself to be prepared for something as big as a brand launch you know so i would say that if anything it has changed my relationship with friends and family alike Mm -hmm. do you find it's hard to meet genuine people in like friendship world and dating relationship world in Atlanta or even New York. I don't know how it was in New York. So I think for me, it can be challenging to find genuine people, both friendship wise and relationship wise. I'm pretty good at reading people, engaging what their intentions are. So if I do feel like a situation is not in my best interests, I'll usually keep a distance and I'll try to find out their motive and what they're in my life for. But I will also say that in me improving upon myself, I have met people who are actually very genuine um, in friendships. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I would say relationship-wise when it comes to men, dating has something has been something that has taken a back seat in terms of importance and i would say that in my experience with dating in atlanta the amount of genuine men that i have met have been pretty slim a lot of people are kind of in pursuit of this sort of clout world where they want to be around you and be with you because of who you might become and that's relevant in relationships but also with friendships and i think until i have the patience and the emotional availability to really be able to gauge someone's intentions romantically i just don't have a place for that in my life at this very moment but when it comes to friendships I've made new friends. <laughs> I really, I'm really good at engaging people and figuring out what their motives are. So it's not, it's not too challenging for me to deal with that. I do wish there were more genuine people though in Atlanta. I wish that they were more evident at least. I think we're both pretty much kind of the same person though, where we really don't give a shit because like we like to be alone. Yeah. So it's like, 
I don't really ever feel like I'm missing out on anything because I just yeah. enjoy my own company anyway. So I'm just like, whatever. But that's a superpower, though. Being able to enjoy your own company is a huge superpower. So if you can do that, be proud of that. So Cardiela is an avid reader. Yeah. She's always got like really awesome books that she's reading and gems of knowledge ready to share and that's what I love so Cardi I just want to know you know what you're currently reading what books you have read in the past that you just have to share with everyone something that you think is like a must and why yeah so the most influential book that I've read and one that I tell all my friends about is power versus force and I have to find out who that book is by because I always forget his name but that book really is what puts in perspective for me the power of where you calibrate and basically where you calibrate just means where your energy naturally lies and you come into the world calibrating at a certain level so the book talks about how calibration works how to define where you calibrate and how to raise it because when you raise your calibration when you raise where your energy lies you can then attract the things you want so i love that book for that reason the book i'm currently reading right now is the 48 laws of human nature i know the 48 laws is also very popular but the 48 laws of human nature is more about how people work how people think on a realistic level like one of the things that this book talks about is how People do not want truth and honesty. Mm. People want their imaginations to be stimulated. And I think that kind of relates back to how we were talking about fashion and sustainability. Because if you really think about it, you don't know that this company or that this brand is giving you truth and honesty. All you know is that you can imagine the plants growing and the trees healthier and that the clothing that you're putting on is having a positive global impact. It's using the psychological aspects of marketing to get what they want, you know? So the 48 laws of human nature is more about how people think. Um, other than that, the last also most recent book that I read was The Alchemist. You know, the interesting thing about The Alchemist is it relates very well to your life and to my life mm -hmm. in that The Alchemist is essentially a, about a boy who realizes that he has a greater purpose and his motive for pursuing this purpose is a, a girl. He wants to get a girl. He wants to be a wealthy man so he can get the girl and so he can be a more upscale, wealthy individual in society. And that's the motive for a lot of a lot of us. We want to get a certain type of partner. We want to get a certain type of car, a certain type of whatever, a certain type of lifestyle. So we go in the direction of our purpose to get those things. And in The Alchemist, he essentially is on a journey through that path where he works for a tea shop and he works there for years and he during that time is in remembrance and um, reminding himself of why he's there and he eventually leaves to continue along his purpose and 
that book really um, allowed me to see that not you're not the only one going through what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Even though this story is different in the literal things that this boy is dealing with, it's very similar to your life and you can relate it to other people's lives. So where you're going, what you're doing is not unique, meaning that it's possible to achieve the things that you want to achieve. It's possible to attain the things you want to attain, but you have to keep going on your uh, life's journey, your path. So that book is also one I would highly recommend. Yeah, I need to read that. Have you read, uh, it's like, how to not give a fuck? (laughs) I wish. The Power of Not Giving Giving a a Fuck. fuck. Or something Mm -hmm. like that. That book (laughs) is very blunt, as you can see by the title. But the thing that I did like about reading that book is it talks, essentially, she's talking about the power of letting go. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what The Alchemist is also about. Yeah. So the thing about these books that I like, too, is that all of their messages relate, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. (laughs) I'm so excited. I am, like, so happy that I was able to have you on this podcast. I don't think it's going to be the last time I have a feeling. But I'm definitely going to look into these books and who knows, maybe one of them is going to be the next one for a book club for baddies. We'll see. It's our little surprise. But I just want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to leave the people with. You've dropped so many incredible gems tonight. I have one. So a man or woman is only as great as the point in time in which he or she hones the full capacity of their creative abilities. And essentially what that means is the point of raising your energy and the point of doing that work isn't just to get things out of life. The point of it is to have that point in time where you are your best self and you can present that best self to the world and yes that will come with things but you'll realize that your happiest moments your best moments your most memorable versions of who you are because you're going to change are when you hone the full capacity and the full you-ness of yourself and present that to the world so really just try to do that and think about that when you are on your spiritual journey when you are doing anything that you believe is going to help you get to the next level remember that you're as great as those points in time where you're able to hone your full capacity your full capability And that's all we got, baby. (laughs) You're gonna have to come back another time. We'll have more. We'll have more. More gems. So (laughs) sorry for ya. Because that's all we got for you tonight. All right, baddies. We had a girl, Cardi Yala, in the house. And she did an incredible job. (laughs) I'm so happy. So this concludes our very first ever off the books with book club for baddies. 
So keep your eye out for the next one. And we thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you got some awesome stuff out of our little podcast tonight. And just go on your journey of figuring out who the fuck you are down to the core because I promise you, baby, it's going to be the best ride of your life. You're not going to regret it. (laughs) You're welcome. Adios, amigos. You guys have a good night. Good night.